Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Love is Stronger Than Fear podcast. I'm your host, Amy Julia Becker, and each week we are going to take a look at current events, aka the coronavirus, and we're going to consider a small portion of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul wrote this letter under adverse circumstances, and he wrote about how to know joy, peace, hope, and love, not by denying the hardship of the moment, but by knowing God in the midst of that hardship. I hope that reading the Bible in our current moment of uncertainty and turmoil will help us to turn away from fear and toward love. Thank you for joining me. I am sure that I'm not the only one who's heard a reference to the movie Groundhog Day. If you haven't seen it, I actually highly recommend it. It's a Bill Murray movie from the 90s in which Bill Murray is this cantankerous and jerky newscaster who has to go to observe Groundhog Day. And it becomes this big deal every year. And he hates it. And he's snarky about it. And he makes fun of the people in the town where the groundhog is to be sighted. And he's awful. And he goes. And in the movie, Groundhog Day... Uh, is February 2nd. And Bill Murray gets to the end of that first February 2nd, and he goes to sleep and he wakes up the next morning. And he's in the same bed. And it's again, February 2nd, he's stuck in the same place in the same time with the same people day after day after day. And eventually he realizes that this is happening and that he can't get out of it. And so for a while, he just becomes more and more awful. He does worse and worse things to other people. Then he begins to despair because he can't get out. So he tries to actually take his own life in multiple different ways, which doesn't work because he just wakes up on the same day again and again and again. And eventually he decides instead to actually love and serve people. And once he has done that, for a certain amount of time, he's able to get out. And he's not even at that point trying to get out anymore. But that's what happens. He begins to grow as a human being in the direction of love and light and purpose. And that is what enables him to get out of Groundhog Day and to finally wake up on February 3rd. I mention this because a lot of people in my life are comparing life to Groundhog Day, to this movie and to this sense of just like, oh my gosh, each day is just like the one before. And not just that, each day is just like the one before and it feels like a pretty hopeless situation. Like we're never going to get out of it. And I found myself feeling this way, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of purposelessness, Like, what am I living for? What is the point of checking my email? What is the point of my kids doing their homework? What is the point of exercising? What is the point of eating healthily? What what am I doing? Why am I doing it? What is the point of setting goals or planning ahead if those plans are only going to get canceled? What it's done for me is exposed a couple of things like, gosh, what is it that I put my hope in? I've realized that I put a lot of hope in the school calendar. I put a lot of hope in my children going away in the morning and me getting to sit down at my desk and do some work. I put hope in our family vacations and the relaxation and joy that I find in those times. 
I put hope in friendships because that sense of connecting with people in person and enjoying them is delightful and I look forward to it. Right now, I found that the hope that I experience, if I'm not really thinking too hard about it every day, is hope in a glass of wine at the end of the day. And I have to say, that hope is starting to feel really small and inadequate. Like it's not going to get me through. None of those things that I mentioned are bad. A glass of wine, time with friends, family vacations, work, kids going to school. Those are good things, in fact. But they are not enough to carry me. And I have found as hope upon hope seems to have dissipated or dissolved, I do feel more and more like Bill Murray in the beginning of the movie Groundhog Day when he realizes it's not changing. It's not getting better. I don't know what I'm going to do. The thing is, though, that when people mention this movie Groundhog Day, they seem to forget the ending. And the ending for Bill Murray was that he got out of the endless, horrible cycle of repeating the same day over and over again, not because the day changed, not because his circumstances changed, but because he changed. Because he changed who he was and how he was operating. He decided to live in love instead of in despair and instead of in self-centeredness. The question I'm asking myself is, what does it look like to have hope today? What does it look like to have purpose and meaning today? My days aren't going to change very much, even as stay-at-home orders begin to lift. Yes, I can go buy a pair of shorts in a store, I suppose, if I want to, But our kids are going to be separated from their friends. We are going to be wearing masks. We are not going to have summer camp. I don't know what school is going to look like in the fall, and that seems like it's a long ways away. And people are going to continue to get sick, and that might include people that I know and love, as it has already. So the circumstances are not going to change substantially, but I'm asking the question of whether I can cultivate hope and hopefulness that is tethered to something stronger than a glass of wine at the end of the day, can we live in a way that does not mean Groundhog Day, where we are the same cranky people day after day after day, but where even if our circumstances don't change, we are becoming people who are headed somewhere with purpose and with hope. Once again, I turn to this book, the book of Philippians, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote so many years ago. And it's really interesting because, again, although Paul doesn't use the word hope, the passage we're reading this morning is really about hope. And it reminded me when I was reading it, oh my gosh, this guy was in prison. He was living Groundhog Day over and over and over again. And there were kind of two options at the end of this time in prison. Either he was going to be released or he was going to be executed. So yes, there was an end, although he didn't know when it was in sight, but the end was freedom or it was execution. And yet Paul is able to hold on to hope. And I want to talk about how Paul does that and how that can help us to know what it means to hold on to hope in a time that can easily feel as though it is just the same 
unfortunate day again and again and again. Here's what Paul writes. He's talking about the resurrection life, and he says, Not that I've already obtained this, or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you, even with tears, their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Paul talks here about pressing on, holding fast, looking towards heaven. He also talks about not setting our minds on earthly things. From this passage, there actually are three things I want to talk about in terms of what it looks like to cultivate hope right now. The first is that we use our spiritual imaginations. I'm going to explain in a second what I mean by that. The second is we connect the future to the present. And the third is we connect the present to the future. All right, so let's talk about those three things. First, the spiritual imagination. When our daughter Penny was born, I realized that I didn't know how to imagine her life. And of course, we never know what a child is going to be like in the future. And yet, typically, it's easy to imagine what a child might be like because you've got all sorts of other kids in your head and you can use those other children, those stories, those images, those encounters in order to imagine a life for your own child. And when Penny was born, because I had so little experience with kids or adults with Down syndrome, I didn't know how to imagine a life for her. And because I had heard, if anything, scary and negative things about people with Down syndrome, I really didn't know how to imagine a good life for her. And so I really didn't have any way to imagine her future. But over time, I read books, and I looked at photos, and I met other people. I met people with Down syndrome. I met their families, and my social imagination was formed. I knew that Penny would not be the same as Tasha. I knew that Penny would not be the same as Molly and Maggie and Sam and Chris and John and all the other people I met with Down syndrome who were older But I was able to enliven my social imagination to begin to imagine a future for her. 
And when you put that, when I put that social imagination alongside the promises of God, when I also let it be met by a spiritual imagination, then that began to give me great hope for Penny's life. The hope that I had for her future began to inform the present moment when she was a baby. It brought the promise of a good future into the pain of the confusion and fear that we had as young parents. And over time, that hope transformed the pain. It brought the promise into our lives. A lot of us have imaginations. We might not even know we use them, but we use them all the time. We imagine what the political landscape will be. We imagine what the economy is going to be. We imagine the social landscape. And recently, all of those forms of imagination have been really disappointing and disheartening. If you use your political, economic, or social imagination right now, it's really hard. I was listening to this panel of experts um, over the weekend. It was Nicholas Kristof, who's a New York Times journalist, and Ezekiel Emanuel, who is a physician and um, public health expert from the University of Pennsylvania, and the historian Douglas Brinkley. And they all were asked whether they see any silver lining in talking about the coronavirus and when this pandemic will end. And they kind of didn't have an answer. They kind of didn't have a silver lining. I mean, they talked about maybe this next generation will rise up and we'll see great new programs enacted. And and that would be awesome. I would love to see that. But they also just cited a lot of things to feel kind of hopeless about right now. The political imagination, the social imagination, the economic imagination, none of those are going to bring us hope right now. But... If we can use our spiritual imaginations, that can bring hope. And the spiritual imagination is the vehicle for the only hope that will last. We do that. We use our spiritual imaginations and hope operates in such a way that we connect the future to the present and we connect the present to the future. Let me say what I mean by that. So in this passage from Philippians, there's kind of this cool verse where Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I first read that, I thought, yeah, like once I'm dead, my citizenship is in heaven, and my savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be there. So there's a sense of, if I think about it that way, well, then hope is waiting until I die, and then receiving the promises of heaven. But I was reading a commentary on this passage by a scholar named N.T. Wright. He's a British priest, bishop, and theologian. And he says, many modern Christians misunderstand what Paul means in this passage. So this is N.T. Wright uh, writing. We naturally suppose Paul means, and so we're waiting until we can go and live in heaven where we belong. But that's not what Paul says, and it's certainly not what he means. If someone in Philippi said, we are citizens of Rome, they certainly wouldn't mean, so we're looking forward to going to live there. Being a colony works the other way around. 
The last thing the emperors wanted was a whole lot of colonists coming back to Rome. The capital was already overcrowded and underemployed. No, the task of the Roman citizen in a place like Philippi was to bring Roman culture and rule to northern Greece, to expand Roman influence there. So when Paul says that we are citizens of heaven, the image is not one of waiting until we get to heaven. It's one of pulling heaven to Philippi, to where we are. It's one of pulling heaven into our current reality, pulling the culture of heaven into our lives right now. The power of love the promise of peace, the promise of God's presence being with us at all times. Our job is not to passively wait, but to actively participate in bringing the culture of heaven into our lives, our homes, and our communities right now. I read an article a number of years ago that really fascinated me about language. Um, This is from the Yale School of Management, and I will include it in the show notes. It's so interesting. And it says, the language we speak predicts saving and health behavior. And so what it's talking about is that some languages make a big distinction between verb tenses, and specifically between the present and the future. And others do not. So in English, we say, it will rain tomorrow, whereas German, for example, allows speakers to talk about the future as though it is, it is the present. It rains tomorrow. So this is what one uh, researcher found. Languages that make little or no distinction between the present and the future induce speakers to make more future-oriented choices. So what that means is when there's less of a distinction between the present and the future, we live as if the future is already here. This, again, is quoting from this article, speakers of languages that do not distinguish between the present and the future save more money, retire with more wealth, smoke less, practice safer sex, and are less obese, according to Chen's findings. And I just thought, wow, if we are believers in the promise of the resurrection, If we are believers in the promises of Jesus and of God as expressed through Jesus, then we too are called to not differentiate so much between the present and the future, but instead to use our spiritual imaginations to speak as though the future is now, to act as though the future is now, and then to begin to experience the future right now. But instead, to use our spiritual imaginations to speak as though the future is now, to act as though the future is now, and then to begin to experience that future now. That's what happened to Paul. The other thing we can do, however, is to connect the present to the future because we aren't living for what is going to happen after we die. We are certainly living with hope that after we die, eternal life continues. We are certainly living with hope for a day 
when the resurrection of Jesus is not for Jesus alone, but is in and through and around all of us. We are living with hope for the future, but we are also living with hope for the present moment. And so we don't just bring the future into the present. We don't just connect the promise to the current pain, but we also connect the present to the future. We connect what we are experiencing now to what will one day be. A friend of mine and I have been talking about this experience of relative hopelessness and how discouraged we are even with our own experience of hopelessness. But as we got to talking about what it means to use our spiritual imaginations and what it means to pull heaven into earth, to pull the promise into the present, she also said, you know what's different is if I look for the signs of God's goodness here and now, and I connect those to the future. She used the example of the smell of honeysuckle, that we can taste and see that God's creation is a good one, and that that connects us to the goodness of God. She gave me the example of my glass of wine. Instead of seeing that as an escape from my present reality, what if I see it as a sign of the delight of feasting with God and being within God's good presence, God's good purpose, God's good offers of rest and restoration? Another friend mentioned the need for beauty in times when things feel hopeless. And she brought me back to the story of the cellist of Sarajevo. Back when Sarajevo was being bombed routinely, there was a man who was a professional musician, and he literally sat in the rubble of bombed out buildings and played beautiful music. There were a number of reasons why he did this. But it's an image of what it means to bring the hope of the future into the present reality and to connect those two things. If you are feeling hopeless and purposeless right now, the first thing I want you to know is that you're not alone. A lot of us are wandering in circles (laughs) within the confines of our homes or apartments A lot of us are wondering when this is ever going to end and whether we're going to make it. And I don't mean whether we're going to make it as far as our health, although there is certainly that, but I actually mean whether we're going to make it as the people who we want to be and the people who we want to become. There aren't promises and there's certainly no shame in experiencing the hopelessness or the aimlessness of this present moment. But I do believe there's possibility. And the possibility comes not from hoping in politics, not from hoping in information, not for hoping in plans. The possibilities come from cultivating our spiritual imaginations, pulling the future into the present, and connecting the present to the future. Hope connects us to what is true and real and beautiful and good. And we need that desperately right now. 
The last thing I'll say here is that in this passage, it's easy for me to read Philippians and think that it's just speaking to me as an isolated individual, especially in this time of feeling very much like an isolated individual. But Paul is always speaking to y'all, always speaking to us, always speaking to the community and the body of believers that we can do this with and for one another. Again, one of the moments this week that gave me hope was my friend experiencing the smell of honeysuckle, which we do not have in Connecticut yet because we are not that far along in our springtime. But her experience of the smell of honeysuckle was a gift to me. So let us be in this together, in both our despair and our hopefulness. Let's give that to one another. Let's pull the future into the present. Let's connect the present to the promise of the future. And together, let's live in hope. I did want to add one note before I sign off today. I've been recording a separate podcast called Reading Small Talk. It's a pretty different podcast. It comes out on Thursdays and each week is a chapter from my book, Small Talk. This podcast is particularly designed for people who are at home with small children right now and who need some spiritual encouragement just to know that you're not alone to know that God is at work in and through you, even when you cannot see it. So if you're interested in that, or if you know someone who might just benefit from some of that type of encouragement right now, you can look up Reading Small Talk wherever you get your podcasts, or you can just go to my website and find it there, amyjuliabecker.com, and download it and listen along. Thanks again so much for listening. See you next week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Love is Stronger Than Fear podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more resources at my website, amyjuliabecker.com. And if you found today's episode helpful, please share it with friends and take a minute to rate and review it wherever you find your podcasts. See you next week.